Welcome to Scrappy ABM, your source for groundbreaking approaches that don't break the bank. ABM shouldn't cost 200K in tech to even get started. So if you want to get started with ABM or make your program even better without investing a massive amount of money, you're in the right place. Each week, we'll hear from the brightest minds in the marketing world who are redefining ABM, achieving incredible results with untraditional methods, limited resources, and a whole lot of creativity. This isn't a show about how much money you can spend on fancy tech or overhyped tools. Instead, it's about celebrating creative problem solving and the scrappiness it takes to get ABM right. We'll dive into how these marketing leaders built robust ABM strategies with limited resources, revealing the actionable insights that led to their biggest wins. So if you're a marketer ready to challenge the status quo and build a scalable, efficient, effective marketing strategy, Scrappy ABM is the show for you. So if you're ready to discover ABM strategies that are lean, impactful, and utterly transformative, let's dive into this episode. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody, and thanks so much for being a part of uh, this webinar, joining us today. Uh, It's a love-themed, Valentine's Day-themed webinar. Imagine you're back in uh, preschool or or elementary school, and everyone goes around handing out your your Valentine's Day cards and candy. We want to sort of give you all our Valentine's Day cards today um, in the form of scrappy ABM plays that win top accounts. Uh, We're super excited to have you here. Um, Let's go ahead and cover just at a super high level. um, What are we actually here to talk about today? Um, ABM is uh, obviously a a topic that I think has been front and center uh, for marketers over the last decade or so. Um, and frankly, it can mean many different things to many different people. Uh, when you uh, attend enough of these, you start to maybe feel that uh, maybe ABM isn't for me. Uh, maybe there is a level of uh, resourcing and orchestration and technology that makes it potentially a non-starter, that that's just totally out of the realm of possibility. And when you think about this day and age with marketing budgets uh, generally uh, being cut and resources going down, how, how are you expected to really uh, impact and drive an ABM uh, playbook um, in an environment, in a situation that looks like that? But what we're here to share with you today in the form of our Valentine's Day cards is that actually uh, there are some really simple and effective ways, um, things that you can do today as an individual, programs that you can define and execute that can drive meaningful impact and results across some of the key areas that are important uh, from an objective objective standpoint in ABM, whether it's pipeline generation, uh, targeting your your key accounts and and driving engagement within them, whether it's pipeline acceleration, you know, for the deals that your salespeople are already working, how do we close them faster? Uh, Pipeline re-engagement, look, we win Three to four out of every ten deals that we we uh, come across. What what do we do when we lose the six or seven deals out of those ten? Are there ways that we can leverage those relationships uh, in a way to drive value? Um, and then of course uh, retention and expansion. Um, I want to say within the last eighteen months, the focus on retention and expansion has increased tremendously, uh, and we believe that there are some really effective ways that you can drive simple. Uh, ABM uh, inspired plays that can drive uh, further results when it comes to to this particular um, objective as well. With that, 
Let's go through a quick round of introductions. My name is Bobby Narang. I'm one of the co-founders here at OpenSense. Hi, I'm Mason Cosby, founder of Scrappy ABM. We are the only ABM service provider that provides step-by-step -step ABM programs for the crawl stage of account-based marketing. So if you're looking to get started, that's what we're hoping to help you get accomplished today. Hey, hey, everybody. I'm Jody Saratiani. I head up the marketing team at Rollworks, and we are a simple-to-use, highly impactful account-based platform with account-based advertising and account-based marketing offering. Excited to be here. Hi, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. My name is Katie Penner. I am the head of sender relations at Sendoso. We are the leading AI-enhanced gifting automation platform. Really excited to be here with you all today. All right. So as we dig into this first play, uh, you're going to notice again, very Valentine's Day themed. So the first, this first one is called, saw you checking us out. So the idea here is if you're looking to generate quick pipeline, there's no better place to start than those that are already brand aware that are already on your website. And again, as we think about how do we start to crawl in very inexpensive ways, there are ways and tools that you can actually understand the accounts that are on your website. So uh, one that's free that you can start with today is called Warmly. Uh, go to Warmly. You can install a lot of code and actually see the accounts that are hitting your website. So again, there's that's one simple way you can start to look at who is actually hitting your website and looking at specific pages. And I really like to focus on those pricing and those product pages. Because if you reach out to somebody and you see that they've been looking at all your products, they see your pricing pages, and you reach out, and you reach out with a message that's something to the extent of, hey, it looks like you were checking out our page, looks like you might be interested in buying our products or our services. Is there anything I can help you with? And you frame yourself not necessarily as a seller, but as a helpful guide that will guide them through the buying experience. The other thing is in this context, if they're looking at your website, and ideally we've married this up with maybe some third-party intent data. If you're looking for free intent data, go check out Propensity, which offers free third-party intent data on up to 100 counts on a weekly basis. You marry those two things up, you know that they're likely in an active buying cycle. So how can we help them move forward specifically with you? You can build a limited time offer. So again, if we're doing this as a Valentine's Day themed uh, experience, you can say, hey, if you uh, book with us before Valentine's Day, or if you book with us, maybe you can do it as a, did you miss this sweet deal? We've got something you'll love. So again, really leaning into those puns. I am a father. That is my job. We want to create timely specific offers that really encourage people to move forward. Put a time date on it. Uh, it works super well in B2C. If you're like me, you've gotten 100 emails today with specific offers for today. Do that in a B2C context. Offer a, a waived onboarding fee. Offer an extra month for free. Something that encourages them to say, you know what, I'll give this a shot. As far as the messaging, we want to tailor it and craft it. Again, if you know who is on your website, you know what pages they were looking at. Don't just say a blanket, we saw you were on our website. Say, we saw you looked at these specific pages. It looked like you were interested in this specific pricing. Can I answer any questions? You have the information, use it. Additionally, with that offer and that re-engagement, I think there's a huge opportunity to use email signatures. I'm not just saying that because OpenSense is here, but email signatures are a way that you can sell without selling. There are 10,000 emails that are generally sent from each individual person's inbox on an annual basis. So if you have a limited time offer that you put in your email signature, which by the way, you you can do, you can just add an image. That's a linked image and you can click on it. You can do that for free. Uh, OpenSense makes it easier to manage, but you can do it for free just to get it started as a way that you can, again, encourage people to actually take you up on that offer. 
Uh, you can use targeted ads, direct mail since we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But again, at the end of the day, start to use the channels that you have to re-engage. And then lastly, from a tracking and analytics perspective, monitor that specific offer page. You've now created a specific mechanism that's not advertised in a lot of other places. It's specifically used for re-engagement. You can look at the number of accounts that you've targeted and marry that up against the website page traffic for that specific offer and actually see, are we re-engaging the right accounts at a specific volume that should convert? So again, huge opportunity here using free tools that you have access to today to start to re-engage those that are already hitting your website. As we look at how to level this up, uh, I'm gonna pass it over to Jody. Thanks, Mason. Uh, so yeah, this this play is kind of similar to Mason's. I think you'll see a theme here coming through um, that a lot of these these plays take advantage of a combination of high fit engagement signals and intent signals. So engagement being that first party data and intent being that third party data. So this play starts out with the idea that fit is great as a starting point, but a lot of go to market teams forget that fit is on a scale. It's not just are they a fit, are they not a fit. That's a great starting point. But you could actually look at all the characteristics of your best fit customers. So those that are worth a lot of money to your organization or stay with you as their lifetime value is higher and pick out those characteristics that really are associated with those best customers. Um, and then grade, for lack of a better word, your prospective target accounts and bucket them into different you know, measures of that scale. So your highest fit accounts should be in, in many cases, two to three times um, more likely to close than your accounts that are, are poor or fit. So think of fit not only as a, an, a black or white and either or, uh, but more as a scale. That's a great starting point. Then don't stop at fit, right? You really want to include engagement signals, particularly as Mason said, product-centric signals um, that you can layer on to subgroup out those high fit accounts that you're looking to target. And uh, best yet, if you can include intense signals as well, that is, that is the holy grail, the sweet spot between high fit, high product-centric engagement, and high product-centric third-party intent. Those are your buyers that you're going to want to go after uh, with everything you've got, right? Uh, uh, do it soon, do it big, uh, do it comprehensively. So there's a couple of, of different sort of engagement signals that, that Rollworks customers use, past demo requests. Um, and their colleagues who maybe didn't came, but you never heard from them again. So they sort of uh, went dark. No shows on existing meetings and kind of went dark. Um, like Mason said, products and your content viewers can be a really good one. And then on the intense side, looking at third-party profile viewers, like pull that data in from G2 or Trustradius or others, as well as surging accounts using um, intent tools like a Bombora or a Rollworks or something like that to really see um, when these accounts are starting to engage in the types of content topics that matter to your business. So that's kind of the identification piece. Once you have identified those accounts, you're going to want to launch um, a program. It could be a re-engagement program or an engagement program, depending on whether um, it's first-party data that you're going after or not. And we recommend kind of a combination of outbound email, gifting, and targeted ads as sort of the holy grail. Uh, typically, these folks are already known in your system, so you can uh, launch an outbound email. Typically, these are smaller groups of accounts and contacts, um, so it makes more sense to do an outbound email than it does a, a marketing automation email. We really recommend with these emails that you start with a no-ask touch. So this is where gifting comes into play. Uh, we are Sendoso customers, happy Sendoso customers. Um, and, and yeah, 
plug, plug. Um, and what we have done internally is offer to give somebody a gift card for dinner or a free cocktail kit, just as a way to kind of get back in touch with no additional ask. You're not saying, hey, let's talk, but just more like, hey, I was thinking about you or it's been a while, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, offering something as a secondary email after that first email goes out and you get engagement to get them to kind of re-engage with your, with your brand. You can see an example of this here on the screen uh, where we did a, an advertisement that just said, check your email. We've sent you something basically, which has enormous click-through rates, like 10% of the audience clicks through, which is like, you know, if you know click-through rates, that's outrageous. Um, on the um, advertising side, I think being really literal, like Mason said, is really good. Another one, if you're using intent data and you see that they're looking for your competitors or you, you can be direct and say, hey, I saw that you were looking for, you know, my type of solution. It's an example of one of our ads there looking for an ABM platform. Recommend that you personalize when possible. Many tools out there today can personalize not only email, but also advertisements at scale. And this combination of fit, intent, engagement, and just a really easy three-part um, engagement campaign can drive some low-hanging fruit and pipeline opportunities. And with that, back to you, Mason. I love it. Before we dig into this, I did want to answer one of the questions that had been posted by Justin around the subject line of, hey, if we're using website engagement data, you know, we don't maybe want to call that out exactly because it feels creepy. I'll give you quick context. If you look at everybody on the call, let me put it very bluntly. We all market marketing solutions. So we're talking to other marketers that are likely very aware of these tools and technologies. So that subject line may work well for us. Uh, if you are in a lower tech uh, understood industry, it may not. So I want to be very clear of, I like to call it out because I'm very direct generally in my approach, and that's the ethos of my brand. So for context, think about how to test those things. Again, I like it because it's kitschy. It's saw you checking us out emoji. That's going to stand out as a subject line, and especially if it's on a website that you viewed in the past seven days, you're going to be more likely to open that. But if you see a low response rate or you see a response rate that's negative, change that subject line. Do not use that tactic. Test it. But the theory, which is, again, Third-party intent data married up with fit, married up with they've been on your website. That works. Now it's a question of messaging. So that's a great call out, Justin. And just wanted to directly answer that. As we look at this next play, uh, don't go breaking my heart. So again, let's say that Jody and I, again, we're, we're building out the strategy. We generate the pipeline. They're now in the pipeline. And they are very active. They're emailing us back every like hour. So we're, we just got this great back and forth going. And then suddenly it takes like three days and then four or five and six. And then suddenly we've gone two weeks and we haven't heard from them. Raise your hand if that's happened to you before, all of us. Uh, so long story short, what I like to do, and again, to continue on with the analogy, um, I am married. When I was dating my wife, she had this group of friends. And in that group of friends, there were some people that were like, you and Mason are awesome. We love this relationship. Also, there was one friend in particular that was what I would refer to as the blocker. Actually tried to break us up. Didn't love that. So what I needed to do to convince my wife to continue to date me and inevitably marry me, I do identify my champions. I identify my blockers. So again, what I started to do in that situation is I went one-on-one -on -one and started to build relationships with my blockers. And I also started to feed more information to my champions so that they would convince the blocker for me. So again, at the end of the day, we're using this analogy, but it actually works in sales. We have to identify who is not for us. We have to identify who is for us. And then I love to create dedicated landing pages that are what I refer to as buyer enablement content. So prime example, I have worked 50 deals in the past six months. My main blocker is generally a, uh, 
a CFO. I've talked to two CFOs out of 50 deals. But what I have been able to do is give my champions and my main points of contact great information around ROI and tangible results that then help convince the CFO to sign off on the budget. So buyer enablement content is huge. So creating that content, and I don't necessarily think this has to be one-to-one. I think you can create persona in vertical-specific content. So again, think about who's the persona, who's the blocker in the specific industry, and who is the industry that we're, or what industry are we targeting? You can create that and then repurpose that across all your different verticals and all your different personas. And again, the messaging is very crafted. It's very targeted. You can make it kitschy to make it line up with maybe a specific holiday or season so it'll stand out. We'll talk a little bit more on the next slide about how you can set up a double date and what that actually means. But long story short, doing everything in your power to give buyer enablement content. And if possible, one of the best things for overcoming a blocker is peer-to-peer relationships. So legal meeting with legal. CIOs meeting with CIOs, CFOs meeting with CFOs to kind of overcome that vendor to vendor relationship. And it's a true peer to peer conversation around the merits of partnering. Super helpful if you can get the buy in. So, again, super high level, take inventory of who is currently involved in the deal, identify blockers, identify champions, and equip your champions with great information to overcome the blockers and create very targeted and personalized messaging, whether that be through peer to peer connections or dedicated landing pages so that you can actually continue to progress the deal forward. Now over to Bobby. Thanks, Mason. And what, it wouldn't be a Valentine's Day if we didn't drive an analogy of marriage and B2B sales, truly. Uh, so, so thanks for sharing that. I think a, a super relevant play that we want to share now is double down with a double date. And, and to your point, um, the buyer committee, as we get further down in the funnel, uh, when your reps are engaging, you know, Jody had mentioned there's folks that'll jo- join the call. There may be people that no-show. There may be people that show up that you never really have a chance to meet with again. Um, as, we, as we get closer and closer to close, the ability for a rep to multi-thread is one of the key indicators or key drivers of the outcomes that we all want, but we're not always afforded that opportunity. Uh, we're not always able to pursue that, that conversation or earn that conversation for whatever reason. But with data, and with tooling, and with just a little bit of mapping of all of that out, um, we can drive these uh, this buyer enablement content within those primary channels of communication that occur when you're at this point in the funnel, which tends to be employee email. So your rep is uh, following up, uh, providing an overview of the discussion, the demo, maybe providing a quote uh, or other white papers or relevant content uh, to help the buying committee make decision about uh, whether or not to purchase your product. Well, in that email, that email signature becomes a vehicle to deliver some of that buyer buyer enablement content. And with tools similar to OpenSense, we can actually ensure that that CIO has a banner that basically speaks to our security and compliance program, that the CFO sees a banner about the ROI and uh, potential return um, with with investing in email signatures, that your CMO uh, gets a playbook of scrappy ABM plays you can you can run on Valentine's Day. Uh, point is, is that that same email can carry multiple different messages for the relevant stakeholders who ultimately are either going to be your champions or your blockers. And we have the ability to now orchestrate that in that channel of communication that is where business happens at that point in the funnel. So 
the, the beautiful part about this is, again, we may not earn that, that meeting with that stakeholder. We may not earn the ability to multi-thread, but we do have the ability to ensure that that content is present um, and available for that bu buying party to consume um, and make themselves more informed uh, to ultimately make that more informed decision. All right. So this is always a sad one. So again, we've, we've been working a deal. We thought we overcame the blocker and suddenly I'm so sorry. You did a great job, but we cannot move forward at this time. That deal that you worked for four months that suddenly got away or in some cases eight months. So, uh, they are not lost forever. You can re-engage these accounts. And I think that this is probably one of the greatest opportunities for any B2B tech company today to re-engage and go after their lost deals to generate re, uh, real pipeline, primarily because one, they know who you are. Two, at one point in their life, they saw you as a valuable potential solution. And three, if you're doing a good close loss analysis, you actually know why you lost the deal and you can re-engage specifically around the objectives or the objections you already know exist. So I put in here, if you aren't running closed loss on a regular cadence, look at the past 12 to 24 months. Uh, this is going to vary. This is the, kind of the biggest variable. It also depends on your uh, average contract length, depending on your industry. I've talked with some clients that have an average contract length of three years. So doing a 12 to 24 month retro may not make sense. They probably need to do a 36 to 48 month retro. Uh, other clients have a three-month average contract length. So again, just depends on the average contract length. I would just look at how long are these people typically in contracts and then reach out, generally speaking, a month to three months before that contract is supposed to be up. And then additionally, cluster based on closed loss reasons. So again, that could be you're missing a specific feature set. It could be a specific industry. It could be that people left their job and they now have a, a new point of contact. Uh, my favorite re-engagement tactic here is specifically clustering around closed loss reasons. And if you are a tech company, looking at the product features that were the reason you lost. And if you've updated and you now have those product features, you now have a cluster of accounts that you can re-engage around the specific feature set that was missing that were, would have pushed the benefits that they needed. We're doing this with a client right now. They've made six months of updates and we now have 150 accounts that we're planning to re-engage. They lost in the past six months based on a new feature set. So again, the messaging here is pretty specific around these are the new features that we've added that are the specific benefits that you were looking for six months ago. Are you open to having another conversation? It gives us a very real and tangible reason to reach out, which again, if you're a marketer working with sales, the greatest gripe from sales is generally we don't have a good reason to reach out. So again, specifically as you're looking at closed lost, give your sellers a good reason to reach out that actually is a, a very persuasive reason to hop on another call. The other thing that I really love about Closed Lost is you likely have some really great data and good access to channels. So again, you can do automated emails here that can do a direct mail send. A quick plug for Sendoso Express. If you get Sendoso Express, you get two free or you get two weeks of being able to send physical gifts. So again, no need to buy a platform. You just pay for the gift. So if you wanted to like specifically time this and you don't want to necessarily invest in the platform until you've proven the value, get Sendoso Express, send physical gifts, and you've got a two-week time frame to do that. You can also run paid LinkedIn DMs. Uh, you can do, honestly, a ton as it relates to gifting. I specifically love gifting in a closed loss context because, again, 
it's a way that you can re-engage. It's a higher touch. And then you can follow up with emails. Um, one of my other favorite plays uh, from Will Aiken is sending a coconut to any ghosted prospects that you close loss and saying you're a tough nut to crack or uh, sending a popcorn tin and saying popping back in. That's one of my favorite plays. Uh, just wanted to see if now was a better time. So again, identify your channels, identify your tactics, try to lean into a pun, try to send a gift and then build up the content. So again, if you have reasons to reach out, don't just make that an email outbound sequence, create dedicated content that could be case studies that showcase similar clients that actually experience the benefits of what you're trying to tell them you now can offer them. So build case studies, build uh, specific landing pages and interactive demos, just anything that gives these close lost people a true picture into their new life after working with you. Because again, you have the information on why they wanted to work with you in the first place. You lost them. Don't lose them a second time. And then once you've done all of that, you can launch. By the way, if you started this right now, like you got off this and we're like, we got to build a close loss campaign. You can probably build it by the end of March and launch it for a Q2 initiative. So here's my challenge to you. Everybody go figure out how many close loss deals you can re-engage. If you build a cohort, you should be able to re-engage 15 to 20% of those people. So again, build a cohort, identify how many accounts that it, that is. You can actually factor that into your pipeline generation program, which is crazy. So anyway, sorry, I'm really passionate about this one specifically because it's just such a huge opportunity. And I'm going to pass it to Katie. All right. So just like Mason, we love re-engagement plays. Uh, our re-engagement play here at Sendoso is called Rekindle the Romance. So this play is going to help you win back those closed lost accounts via thoughtful gifting that actually reopens the doors to your target accounts. Now, we've run this play with our customer, Benefy, and they were able to generate $2 million in influence pipeline, right? So how do we do this? First, we run reports in Salesforce of any closed lost opportunities from six plus months ago. Now, we sell to a lot of B2B SaaS companies, and as we all know, people are kind of moving like crazy from company to company right now. There's a lot of shifts in the market, right? So there's really good opportunities for us to re-engage new decision makers and then bring these deals that have shown us that they have a use case back to life. But like Mason said, the amount of time since, you know, they went closed loss may depend on your ICP. Now, then we split those lists up in two. Are these target accounts that our sales team really wants to break into? Are they showing high levels of intent? If so, we want to put those people in a more manual sequence with messaging uh, over to the right of the screen with a fun gift offer, right? So, hey, Cupid met with person back in year or month about my company and how we could help your company solve for the challenge previously discussed. Hoping to get my company on your radar and fill you in. Could you squeeze us in? P.S. Valentine's Day is here. I wanted to send some love your way. Click here for a fun surprise. Random fact, a P.S. actually increases response rates. So you'll see us using that a lot. And it separates our value prop and the send offer, which also keeps it from being a little icky. Now, the, the gift message, once it lands, right, we have a handwritten card that goes along with the gifts. Could be something like this Valentine's Day. I wanted to share some love and plant the idea of reconnecting to dig into your 2024 goals, right? Um, this email allows for that hyper-personalization and our manual Wake the Dead sequence generates a 20% top-line reply rate internally for our team here at Sendoso. And the messaging that lands with that gift is pretty creative and pushes back to our CTA in a fun way. 
And let's be honest, like Mason said, everyone loves a good pun. And for lower intent accounts, we do have an automated version of the sequence, very similar to what Mason's play play was. And we push those people back to landing pages with case studies and an area to book a demo. And we do have triggered sending in place for that. Now, gifting does drive revenue. Our customers are seeing 200% return on campaign investment. They're saving a lot of time, um, shortening their sales cycles. And like Mason said, gifting doesn't have to be expensive. You can check out our website and actually try it for free. Um, so with that, I'm going to hand it back to Mason for our next play. Hey, Katie, maybe before you start, there was a, a question from Justin about gifting that I think oh, I yeah. actually answered a different one on that. Sorry, Justin, I was answering your first question, um, but it, it it's from him saying, how do you handle gifting where this is against the law? Any more interesting non-value approaches? You have yeah, a POV on that? Yeah, so regulated, regulated industries, we actually work with quite a few. Now, I will say that there are some things that you can send in regulated industries. So you can send things like perishables that they can share with the office and branded swag. Whenever you slap a logo on something, it becomes monetarily worth zero dollars, technically. Um, so there are ways to incorporate gifting into regulated industries, but we would always have to, you know, kind of talk offline. So if you're curious about that, reach out to me and we can chat. I love it. And uh, Justin, you've got another question. If you have questions, this is these are the last two plays. So we're going to focus on retention and expansion. We're going to open it up for some questions at the end. So if you've got questions, go ahead and drop those in the Q&A. And Justin, I'm going to leave you hanging on. We'll, we'll come back to that question at the end. So retention and expansion, we're a perfect match. Oh, I love this because if you're thinking about building an ABM program, where you should generally start, we talked a lot about it on the pipeline side because you have better data there. Uh, again, it's it's just easier to start with those that are identified through pipeline. But I also think the best place to start an ABM program is actually on retention and expansion. Because ideally, you have the best data on your existing customers. As we think about distribution, hopefully if your CS team sends them an email, they're going to open it because they ho hopefully they like you. Uh, as we think about destination, the content that we're sending them to, again, hopefully they're already looking at some of your website content because they see the value because they bought from you previously. And think about direction, you have the best tracking on your customers because you have the most information on them. So I love starting an ABM program actually on the customer side because it helps you build a framework. So we're gonna talk through that framework right now. So I love the idea of finding a big enterprise client that has multiple business units. I'll give you a quick example. I used to work at a global agency that had 13 different business units. We had 13 different P&Ls and we had a corporate layer. So some accounts or some companies would sell into one of the business units, just one. And they would have great success there. And that was awesome. And we would do great work and it was amazing. And we would actually end up becoming a case study. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I worked at a company called Gravity Global. If you look at ZenPilot's website, ZenPilot is a ClickUp implementation partner. ZenPilot did in ClickUp implementation with the ABM team at Gravity Global. But they made a case study out of all the work that they did for Gravity Global. And then what they ended up doing is they took that case study and they shared it with all the other managing partners and division heads within Gravity. Say, hey, look at how much great work we did with the ABM division. We could do the same thing for you guys. So again, you identify your power users and you turn them into a case study and you show the rest of the company how amazing this division is because of the work that you guys did together. And then you create 
personalized messaging that reaches out to those same division heads or the different people within the organization. And just from a GDPR compliance perspective, and especially with the new updates from Yahoo and Google around emailing, you can actually uh, send emails to your customer base. So uh, you are compliant to send marketing emails to your existing customer base, even uh, if they're in a different division. So you're fine on that front. And again, you want to showcase the success that they've had working with your organization in a specific business unit. And then what you do is you go to that division head that you turn the case study into and said, hey, it looks like so-and-so was checking out the case study on the great work that we did. Would you be open to introducing me? We'd love to work with the other divisions in your organization. So again, what you've now turned this into is great case study content, which also you can use full funnel. You've created a way in which you distribute that information to the rest of the organization. And you've turned this into a referral program. Huge, huge opportunity. The greatest likelihood of conversion of any other play that we talked about today, because again, you get social proof on the exact organization that you're trying to sell into. How else do you get that? There is no better one-to-one -one than the case study on the exact same organization. And you get the personal intro from one division head to another. Huge, huge opportunity if you actually take this playbook and sell it to the enterprise. Sorry, I get really passionate about this one too. All right, we're going to pass it over to Bobby. Dude, don't have to apologize for passion. Again, this is Valentine's Day. This is the day of passion, right? So we love it. And we're, we're going to be sort of wrapping up here with another retention and expansion play that, again, piggybacks really nicely on what Mason just shared. We already know it's meant to be. Uh, one of my favorite ways to drive uh, targeted experiences with email resides with the program that we put in place with our CS team. To Mason's point, the CS team has a relationship with the customer that generally results in their emails being opened 100% of the time. And so one of the things that we love to do is to leverage data from multiple sources that we own. So maybe our CRM or maybe um, our uh, internal like usage data to basically determine what are the products that my uh, customer have already purchased. And what we do with that data is we use it to make a decision about what other products we want to essentially market to our existing customers and our existing relationships. Um, this is all managed within the email signature totally automatically. So as the CSM is engaging, the account manager is engaging with that customer, they are sort of passively marketing this product that we know is going to be the next best fit for this customer with whom we have a great relationship. And so one of the key things that I think this helps to alleviate is oftentimes I think it's tricky for your CSMs to drive value creating conversations oriented around different products that we want to sell to that existing customer. So one thing to support them on the products that they already have and to explore deeper value in, in that existing product. But, but oftentimes it feels like it can be uh, not a conflict of interest per se, but not the easiest conversation to bring, uh, hey, like, would you, would you be open to discussing this other product that we think could be a great fit for you? Um, and so what this allows us to do is to put that content, put that product information in front of the customer that we know, based on what we know about our products and customers, is going to be a great fit for them. And then the engagement that's derived through this channel can then trigger actions elsewhere in our go-to-market team and functions. And so really the beautiful thing about this is that we're leveraging the channel 
that is a trusted channel between our trusted advisors and the customers. We're able to, to place targeted messaging based on the data that we already have about the customer, about the products that they've purchased and what we believe that it's going to make, make sense for them to look into in the future. And we use the trigger, the, the engagement to drive triggers for go-to-market motions that then can capture um, that interest uh, in that secondary product line to hopefully drive additional expansion revenue. So that's a wrap. This is these these are our uh, scrappy ABM plays that we wanted to share with you today in the form of our Valentines. Uh, hopefully, y'all enjoyed them. I think the um, again, I think Valentine's Day, as it turns out, is the uh, the holiday for for pun lovers, and um, and so I think we had a, a fair amount of those today, which is pretty awesome. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who have attended, thank you so much. Uh, as a follow up, you're going to receive a few assets from from each of us um, listed here on the left. And in addition to that, Sendoso, for those of you who have attended, has a special present um, to, to uh, send your way. So keep your eyes open for that. Um, great to meet all of you. If you want to connect with either of us, uh, our names and companies are listed here in the, uh, the center panel. And um, I guess we have another five or so minutes. So if there are any questions that are, are uh, in the audience, left unanswered. Let's go ahead and um, and take a look at them. Justin, you you certainly are um, uh, highly engaged today. We love it. So, uh, did we want to get into that? Uh, I think there was an outstanding question there, right? Right, team. Yeah, there yeah. was one. I was starting to type. Um, thanks for clarifying. So, pre-qualified lead, not pre not product qualified lead. Uh, but I guess in either case, I think that there's kind of like three buckets of generating pre-qualified leads pipeline. Um, and we're still sort of touching on it today. I would, I would bucket them in capturing demand, re-engaging demand, and creating demand. Capturing demand and re-engaging demand is always going to be fastest and easiest, right? Um, and least expensive, right? So those are folks that are, you've probably already qualified because you're fit focused, you know they're a high fit, and so you're targeting you know, and trying to see where, what they're up to and what their activities could mean. Um, or you've actually already had them in your sales process and you're, and you're re-engaging with them. Um, the creating demand side is where, you know, it, it can be costly in the sense that the buyer's journey starts with fun awareness. And then you have to generate awareness that then turns into some sort of engagement that sales can react to. So if possible with a lean budget, like 25K, and again, I'm I'm unsure, you know, what your cost per opportunity you're driving towards, but assuming that's sufficient, um, I would really start focusing on capturing existing demand. So where are you sitting, seeing contact or account-based activities through intent or engagement data that shows, hey, they're actually in a cycle. They just haven't explicitly reached out to us. And I can pass that over to sales and do something, you know, scrappy to, to get in touch with that person or re-engaging previous demand. Uh, like some of the folks talked about today, if you've exhausted all of that, because you will eventually exhaust, you know, all those different signals that are available through different tooling or re-engaging cost opportunities or uh, closed off opportunities you're trying to re-engage, then you go into the creating demand uh, side. And again, I think data is your friend here because those cold, you know, unaware accounts that you're trying to target 
uh, I think it, it, it does take time. And my guess is if you've got 25K, you're trying to drive that level of funnel results, you, you're kind of on a timeline. So I would say don't start with the folks that are completely unaware of you uh, because that just takes some, so much time, but rather see you know if, if you can see across all the different engagement points, your outreach emails from sales, your website activity, your advertising engagement, your you know marketing automation activity, intent data, et cetera. Combine all that stuff to see where folks are maybe a little bit warm or they're engaging with your competitors perhaps and um, and that will be faster and and uh, less expensive. As a part, as the channel, if you can't get in touch with them directly through, you know, telecommunication and or email, that's probably going to drive the most results. More passive stuff is, um, you know, again, going to take a little bit longer and I would say complementary to some direct outreach. So that would be my answer. It's a little long, but I don't know if the other folks want to answer it. That's a good question. I mean, if we don't have any other questions, Scrappy ABM, all we do is like really low budget programs. So. Uh, simply again, data. So like, who are you triggering? If you only have 25,000, I'd look at close lost active pipeline or existing customer base for retention or expansion opportunities. Uh, distribution, what are channels that we have access to, to re-engage these people? You're already in active conversation. So your channels are likely going to be largely free through your existing sellers or your CS team. And then you can add supplemental advertising. And again, you don't necessarily need a super robust ad platform to prove out the model. But again, at 25,000, I'm not building a huge ABM program, proving a framework and a concept that then gets buy-in to go get more budget. So like, don't think about the 25,000 as the end state. Think about it as a starting point. Uh, from there, it's destination. This is where I spend most of my dollars is content creation. So that we actually create compelling opportunities that would push someone to move forward. And then direction. So again, what, how are we tracking these people actually engaging with our brand? Uh, ideally, we're using some of the free tools that I mentioned, like Propensity or Warmly, that help you get account level engagement on the website and through third party intent. Uh, but again, really, if you spend your dollars on distribution and destination, then you should be able to prove out the model and say, look, we invested 25K here. This worked. We generated 100K out of, out of a couple of deals. And that would be my goal is like, how do I get a three to five X return on investment with the 25K? So then I can go get 150K budget. Like that's. That's the goal. So don't view the 25 as the end state, view that as the starting point to build your framework and then scale it up from there. That's awesome um, guidance. And um, I think there's a lot for us to, to chew on. Again, I think our goal for today was to basically view our approach and strategies through that lens. Like what are some of the, the low hanging fruit ways and opportunities for us to be able to go there and drive impact? Uh, whether that's the meat and potatoes of your program or pilot to to drive additional investment throughout your organization and uh, additional buy-in, um, I think we're walking away today with some uh, really exciting things. I know I have a couple of ideas that I'm going to be taking back to my team um, as a result of, of what we shared today. Um, Katie, Jody, Mason, thank you so much for being a part of this. Happy Valentine's Day. And to all of you who have decided to join us for a part, small part of your day today, we really appreciate it. Um, sending you a lot of love and happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scrappy ABM. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go ahead and give us a follow so that you don't miss a single episode. We drop every single Monday so that you can start your week off right. And if you're looking for additional great content just like this, go check out ScrappyABM.com. We're building a library of frameworks, guides, templates, 
processes, and tools so you have everything that you need to build a low-budget, high-impact Scrappy program. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Scrappy ABM. This has been your host, Mason Cosby, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.